and then we'll be good to go. So again, um, really appreciate you doing this. If you want to do a quick intro of who you are and um, you know what your background is and, and what you do. Yeah, happy to. First of all, thank you so much for having me on the show. Um, super excited to be here and hopefully uh, can share some interesting things for your audience. Um, you know, a little bit about my background. Uh, I've, I've been in tech um, my whole career. Uh, got to be um, one of the first data engineers at Salesforce.com back in 2011 before, you know, anyone in the Valley really had a data team before, you know, we had data scientists and data engineers and all of this. And, um, you know, so was sort of fortunate enough to really see the, you know, the evolution of the data landscape and from 10 years ago when no one had a data team to today when you know, data engineers and, and data scientists are extremely mainstream and, you know, the next five years, every company is going to have a data warehouse. Um, so it's been, a, it's been a really cool journey. And, you know, uh, I sort of started a company a year ago, um, which really helps enable businesses in, in making this transition towards data, right? Like not every business is going to have, is going to have the luxury of hiring 50 data engineers, like, you know, sort of Salesforce did or like we worked in. So how do we really enable businesses to, you know, answer difficult questions like what, you know, which areas to focus on and how are customers using my products? And how do we, you know, optimize our internal operations? And these sort of complicated questions, which every business needs to answer in the next 10 years, how do we make it really, really simple for businesses to do that? And that's kind of the sort of problem statement I've been, I've been playing around with for the last one year. Awesome. So before we get into uh, some of those questions and how, you know, your product helps companies solve them, I do want to touch on why data is important or why it matters. And did you say in 2011, Salesforce had the team? So 2011 is, um, is, is it, did I hear that correctly? Yeah, back in, back in 2011, I actually joined as a software engineer, but I, I sort of very quickly transitioned to uh, being one of the first data engineers there. And back then, no one in the Valley really had a data team. It was, you know, it was the beginning of the data. Um, it was the beginning of the data um, it was like the beginning of the, it was the beginning of data teams. Gotcha. Gotcha. That personally surprises me. Um, I thought it would be before that, but I do want to, um, yeah. So ask you about why data is important and why do you think it matters? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a little bit of background, right? Like if you look at the last 10 years, you know, 10 years ago, Google was, you know, 10 years ago, digital marketing wasn't as big as it, as it is today, right? 10 years ago, people were just getting into building websites and Google came about telling people, if you don't do this, you're not going to exist in 10 years. And sort of 10 years later, that became super true that the businesses which didn't focus on building an online presence on like what customers were saying, we don't, you know, they probably don't exist anymore. You know, in the same way, in the next 10 years, what's going to become really important is an evolution of this. It's how do you really leverage data to accelerate growth in the business? And what does that really mean, right? So where are your customers coming from? We no longer live in a world where you just have a sort of website. You have, uh, you know, ads, you have affiliates, referrals, SEO, you have offline campaigns, word of mouth, you know, all of these different types of campaigns, right? Um, so, it's no longer as simple as installing Google Analytics and figuring out what's happening. It's a lot more holistic than that. We have a lot more 
uh, sort of, we have a lot more channels and figuring out, hey, which channels are actually converting, which channels should I do more on, which channels should I do less on? And how are they using my product? What are my different segments of my users? What's my average lifetime value? For, you know, a very active user compared to a first time user, how do I personalize my app experience to be a lot more relevant for them? And then finally, how do I, you know, use automation to make the business more efficient? How can I, you know, decrease OPEX costs, automate some of the financial dashboards, optimize my customer service team, find out who I'm sort of, find out who my best sales reps are and enable them. So, you know, these are the types of use cases you're going to have to start to think about in the next 10 years. And it's, it's quite simple, right? If you're really unable to do this, it, you know, it would, you know, it would be really hard to compete because you sort of competition when it's doing things like this and becoming a lot more efficient at selling and, and retaining and making the business more efficient. So it's really, you know, the evolution in the next 10 years. And we already started to see that. And just like with digital marketing, it really accelerated very quickly. We'll be seeing those trends inside the data space. Right. So what was the state of this when you started, when you first started? What were some of the things that, what were some of the questions that you were answering through data, maybe at Salesforce? And um, what was kind of the current state of, I guess, um, the, the industry in that regard? So back then, you know, one of the first things we built is uh, a way for Salesforce to analyze how its customers were using its products and do, and do things like benchmarking. So companies in your industry uh, who are approximately as big as you in terms of size, you know, on average, how many leads do they have? How long does it take for them to close their leads? What's the average order value? You know, these benchmarks are really valuable because you can very quickly see, hey, you know, we're doing pretty well on like the number of leads we have, but we're not doing too well in terms of converting them or in terms of average order value, right? So, you know, that was kind of the first kind of use cases we were sort of we were sort of focusing on and you know just from a technology perspective that was you know pretty complicated to go do right we were looking at log files so you know every time you take an action on a website it it sort of it sort of generates log files and then we were sort of passing through these log files to come up with metrics and then aggregating them up whereas you know today you would use some sort of front end that some sort of front end tracking tool like mixpanel or you know heap or like one of these tools and it would be quite simple to sort of, you know, do pretty advanced use cases like this, right? So, you know, back then, um, the infrastructure for doing analytics just wasn't there. We were really focused on building that, you know, that fundamental infrastructure that that sort of end-to-end platform needed. Whereas today, um, you know, if you look at the sort of, if you look at the largest IPO in tech history, it was last year with Snowflake, that happens to be a sort of, that happens to be a data company so you know it's it's quite in it's quite indicative of you know where we're going and just showing some of the maturity which has come into these layers and then you know in the future you know what potentially can happen with the applications of this infrastructure layer which are you know things like machine learning and ai right and that's um that's something we can talk about as well as things kind of move towards automation and um you know everything becomes more streamlined. I feel like from my perspective, from the outside, I think all of these tools are really great and having access to them is amazing for any business owner or company or entrepreneur, however we want to leverage these things. But 
the more they move towards automation, I feel like the gap between understanding what's happening versus having a service that allows you to kind of participate is increasing. So how can more people be aware and also implement these things within their businesses or practices or anything? Yeah, that's a great question, right? And, you know, even though we've made so much, so much progress on this, you know, the average business today gets very, gets very little from data, right? You might install Google Analytics and figure out where your customers are coming from. But really going into some of these use cases, which I spoke about, you know, for majority of businesses today, it's, it's still very, very, it's very, it's very difficult to do. And really, it's because of two reasons. Number one is obviously the, the sort of tooling and, you know, just look, sort of looking very, very, if you, if you look at the entire data ecosystem, it's extremely fragmented. All the tools exist, but each of them kind of focus on, a, on like a different layer of the stack. So sort of Snowflake, as we mentioned earlier, that's the storage company. Then you're reporting, you're ingesting, you have data modeling, you'd be testing. All of these are different vendors, right? So if you just want an end-to-end platform, you have to go sign five, five different vendors. You have to go deploy an army of people to sort of put this together. And for most businesses, that's not trivial to do. So kind of that's the first part, right? And then the second part is fundamentally the people, right? Like who, you know, even inside the data ecosystem, you have data engineers and data scientists and analysts and data platform engineers and, you know, who does what, you know, for, you know, unless this is kind of your sort of bread and butter, it's non-trivial to even go get value from data, right? So this is kind of what stops a lot of the companies from doing it today, if, if sort of that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And my, my question kind of was, how can they, I guess, start implementing some of these services or how can they, you know, use some of these tools that are being offered, including the company that you created to, to their yeah. advantage uh, without having sort of to use all of the tools or all of the features of the product. What's like an entry level sort of version of this? Sure. So, you know, I think two things, you know, I think one of the things which we're, which we're doing is building a new sort of category, in the data space, right. Called the managed data stack where, we just give you all of these end-to-end, we sort of give you the end-to-end platform on day one so that you don't have to go sign all these enterprise contracts and figure out how to stitch it together. And then on top of the end-to-end platform, we can give you access to an engineer or a sort of pool of engineers. And you know these engineers are not only top, you know, top like 1% of engineers who we interview, but because we know what the platform is, we can pre-train them on the platform, which means we can give you both the platform and the engineers, which allows you to sort of holistically deploy sort of end-to-end data strategy, right? So, you know, we're sort of focused on like the 85, 90% of companies, which are not going to be pure tech companies who are going to go sort of do this themselves, right? So, you know, number one is, you know, as a whole, what's going to happen is sort of sort of services like us, which are going to commoditize a lot of the core platform, a lot of the core, you know, ingesting data, structuring it, cleaning it, modeling it, and, you know, building reporting, so, you know, sort of services like this will start to make this easier. Um, that's number one. And then number two is, you know, for each vertical, you know, taking a really hard problem and, you know, kind of building a sort of product around that, right? If you look at kind of what just happened, right? You know, we see a lot of microservices today, right? You know, Slack just does messaging and Zoom just does video, right? So, you know, we start to see, you know, a gap in the market and someone coming in, you know, really taking advantage of that, right? Even, you know, an end-to-end application of that is something like Shopify, 
making it super, super, super easy to sell online. And then around it will come its own analytics, right? So, so sort of Shopify can give you analytics around it. Zoom can give you analytics. Slack can give you analytics around that particular use case. So, you know, being able to stitch more and more of those use cases together, that's also how um, in general, you know, businesses are starting to become somewhat more data-driven. So the average e-commerce business today with Shopify is so much better off than it was before Shopify. But again, as soon as, you know, these businesses start to become a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and they want to sell across multiple platforms, you know, across Shopify, across Amazon, you know, maybe some in-person, um, you know, sort of maybe they own retail. And now is when, you know, you need to get a little bit more sophisticated. That's when, uh, you know, the modern data stack comes into play and then solutions like ours also bridge that gap um, when businesses are not ready to go hire four, five, six people themselves. That absolutely makes sense. And um, if we speak from the perspective of maybe just having one Shopify store uh, and you want to talk about how maybe their internal tool or whatever they offer on the website or the platform, how do you, how does that work just for the listeners and for myself as well? Cause I don't have a background in this and I don't really know much about how data is really captured and how, you know, how, how the whole um, sort of process works. So if you want to talk about that. Yeah. So, you know, when you're using a single tool, right, when you're using Shopify, it's, it's quite simple because they know, you know, they have access to your inventory. They, they probably do it for you. And then when an order is placed, they know that. So, you know, they can give you analytics of how much stock you have left and how many orders were sold and you know, what's your revenue and is this going up or is this going down and, you know, where are the customers coming from? Because it's really a single source, right? And as long as you're kind of playing in a single source, then it's kind of makes a lot of sense to use the analytics which you get. You know, the same thing with Facebook, right? When someone starts running Facebook ads, it's, it's quite simple. You're spending X number on Facebook and it's going to, you know, Facebook's assets in terms of Instagram or WhatsApp or Facebook and, you know, X number of customers visit and some customers buy and Facebook can track all of that and give you, you know, a really nice ROI calculation showing you sort of what you got, right? So, you know, as long as the tool is got end-to-end access and is the sole tool across that ecosystem, it makes sense, right? The issue really starts coming from now when you have Facebook and Google and LinkedIn all running in parallel. Now it's, they only have access to a much smaller set of data because they know how much money you spend on Facebook and how many conversions you got on Facebook. But the way Facebook does conversions could be different from what LinkedIn does and could be different from what Google does. So when you look at three dashboards, it's really difficult to compare apples to apples. Where should I spend my next dollar? Because there's three different systems with their own definitions of what they call ROI and how they calculate it. So that's really when you know you start realizing that that's when you need to you know have more of a comprehensive strategy. But until you sort of get to that point, like you know, as soon as you have a website and you just have Google Analytics on your website, that's you know. I'm not sure Google Analytics is the best tool, but that gives you, you know, where are my customers sort of coming from and what are the most active web pages and which web pages are not working well. But, you know, as soon as you want to get one level more sophisticated, being like, hey, I actually have three different types of customers. I have new customers. I have return customers. I have highly engaged customers. I have customers who were active but are no longer active. I want to track all of them a little bit differently. And I want to start to, change my app experience if you're logging in after a long time can it be more engaging and if you're a power user i'm just going to get out of your way and give you you know the good stuff right so right 
So I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but yeah, does your yeah. um so does your tool also provide strategy or like advice on how to use the data? Um, because you could efficiently sort of gather data and and you know get all these different um pieces of information from all these metrics that you've established. But then, how do you use it, and how do you kind of determine how to use it? Yeah, that's a great question, right? So you know, we we kind of look at at ourselves the long term replacement for your data needs, right? So we sort of give you the platform, we sort of give you access to an engineering team, and the kind of third piece, which is sort of available, is uh, what we call our technical project managers. And think of these people as you know early employees of extremely technical companies like. You know, maybe so maybe an early employee of Facebook or Uber or Twitter or sort of on their data team who've seen data at scale, right? They've seen these companies sort of scale up when you know, from their from when they were smaller to much bigger. And you know, as part of the as part of the engagement, we sort of work on these one-week cycles, right? Where every week, you know, these engineers are able to show you this is what we did for you, this is what we're gonna do next week, and this is what we need from you. And we have these technical project managers who are on the call and they don't write code, but they're there, you know, in some ways they act like they act like a sort of translator between, you know, how do you take a generic business use case and how does that really sort of translate into a technical um, you know, output? So, you know, they're there to sort of help you figure out, you know, what should we do next? You know, how do we take a big project and break it up into different phases? How do we, um, you know, based on your industry and your size, what are some good metrics to start with to, um, to basically help you get started? I think that's um, equally important, if not more than just yeah, having totally. data, because um, yeah. you could get all this information and, you know, not really know what to do with. And I don't think it applies um, for companies that are large that have, you know, many talented people. I think it only applies for smaller companies and I have, you know, uh, an idea of whose perspective I'm kind of speaking from at the moment. But I want to touch more on your personal background. What inspired you to start this? Um, it was this one of your was this the first entrepreneurial thing that you did or your venture? Or how did that kind of come about? That's a great question. Um, so, you know, before this uh, role, I was at WeWork. Um, I, uh, I was I was leading data at WeWork and help scale the team um, you know, from a few people to 100. And at some point, I, um, I was quite burnt out and I was going to quit. And a friend of mine convinced me to move to China. He was sent to go you know, figure out the, uh, you know, to sort of figure out technology in China. And um, it was just the right place at the right time. And I sort of went with him. And uh, you know, one year later, uh, this was beginning of this was the beginning of 2020. WeWork's IPO uh, had sort of failed, and it was clear that WeWork wasn't going to invest so heavily inside technology. And you know, he went back to America to to go focus on some initiatives uh, with WeWork then. And I I wasn't quite in the mood. I wasn't quite ready to go back as yet. So I went on a ten day vacation to Bali. Um, and that happened to be day one of COVID. That was the first day this, 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 this sort of started wearing masks. And I got stranded in COVID. I, 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 sort of got, I sort of got stranded in Bali for a few weeks. I wasn't able to go back because sort of China was, a, was, was, was sort of not in a good place. And, you know, at some point, I just like, why would I go back anyway? And I just, you know, in some ways moved to Bali and I was there with a small handbag. 
and you know, it became home for two years and, and now I sort of call Bali home and you know I sort of quit we work and was able to sort of was able to to like transition out and so in some ways you know it kind of came and you know building 5x came out of sort of necessity like taking a few months off you know taking a small sabbatical of off after that and just kind of figuring out what do I what do I want to do um, so it came kind of very organically you know I've always wanted to have to sort of build uh, my own business so you know to give a shot to entrepreneurship but you know living in New York and San Francisco and working for you know big tech companies um, you know it, it was just I'm not sure if it would have ever happened if I went down that route, in some ways, I was just put into a situation where, um, you know, it's really difficult to go work for Facebook when you live in Bali, right? Like, uh, it's not conveniently indicated from a time zone perspective. And, you know, working out of a beach in a hammock is just not the, is not the environment they sort of, sort of going for in like Silicon Valley in New York. So it, it really came out of, of, of necessity. And, and, you know, it was just, again, the sort of, right place at the right time i think it's very interesting how a lot of people are wishing or aiming to make that transition themselves in this day and age um we hear about the great resignation and um i don't know how old you are but it seems like a lot of people that have put in you know 10 years in in the corporate world are kind of fascinated by the idea of transitioning and working for themselves or starting a company of their own um, I have a lot of conversations with people that used to work at Google, Microsoft, and they quit and they have their own brands. I'm just curious to hear from your perspective. Um, uh, you, obviously, your transition was out of, I guess, necessity and well, not necessity, the transition kind of happened accidentally. And then you started the company out of necessity. Um, did you ever have feelings of worry or anxiety? Or were you ever concerned about, you know, I'm putting this great career that I've had on the line to do this? Like, how did you navigate those thoughts and, and feelings? Um, that's a great question. And I would be lying if I said fear doesn't come up, right? I think fear is a beautiful agent of change and it kind of shows that we all are quite human after all. Um, I think what I saw in Bali, which really inspired me was a different way of working. You know, I saw a lot more balance in life between doing and being and you know see a lot of entrepreneurs at least the people who live there who are not just there on like vacation but really rewriting some of the playbooks around what it means to you know be healthy holistically and to have the right um you know work is a part of life but not it doesn't define life and you know happiness comes from sort of so much around it and you know, had some values, you know, it was really kind of inspired by taking some of this new playbook, which I learned and how do we actually not just build a, a sort of company which can help commoditize data and, and be able to, you know, add value for businesses, but how do we rewrite some of this playbook between how companies and employees work and, you know, work and play sort of together, right? So, we had four core values which we sort of started with and the first one was called the hammock value which is if i can't build this from 
a hammock in Bali, I'm not interested in building it. So, you know, talking about how the world is now remote and, you know, the idea of going, having a nine to five desktop, is just dead. We're never going to win. We're sort of never going to do that, right? No 5X employee will kind of work from an office. We'll always build a half sort of, sort of, a sort of flexible environment. The second one was around, um, was around 5X value, which is around adding exponential value. Uh, we call 5x because we want to add you know exponential value to any sort of business um, the third one was around togetherness where you know it's very difficult to work remotely um, but one of the things i loved about we work is it was such a together culture it was just sense of you know where we're going and helping each other out and treating others the way you want to be treated and i wanted to sort of bring that in and the last one which i think is one of the most important ones is around holistic wellness uh, which is, you know, around this concept that we have four empires in our body, your mindset, your health set, your, um, your uh, heart set and your, and your soul set, right? So mind, spirit, emotion, and sort of body. And we just play at the lowest of those four levels. So you might be physically super fit and spiritually connected and mentally super sharp, but you just had a fight with your significant other. That's the level you're sort of playing at, right? So how do we balance these out and really care as a company on getting on up leveling everyone to you know what's the lowest one and how do we up level that? So it was just really inspiring to be able to be there in a time when there was a lot of uncertainty in the world around COVID and you know trying to do something differently, not just in building a new business but also in rewriting the playbook uh, on what it means to work for a new age company. A lot of things we can touch on. Um, I do want to ask, how do you think you had the time to be so introspective and have all these thoughts while working um, for WeWork, Salesforce, and being in that environment? I feel like just from my perspective and my experience working in the corporate world, it, those kind the thoughts of maybe you know thinking beyond metrics or goals or targets or money, essentially, are not really... I guess, as present um, in those environments. So how did you kind of take yourself out of that, have those thoughts and still be able to excel in those envi- in that environment? You know, I, I, I struggled in America. I, America wasn't very good for me. I, I, you know, at a point in WeWork, I was doing fairly well in the corporate world, but I was going out five nights a week and, um, you know, having that same, you know, sort of every day look the same, waking up slightly hungover, working hard and doing the same thing every day. And at one point, my, my sort of body just told me to get out. And that's kind of what drove some of that inspiration behind moving to China. And over there, you know, was really looking for, you know, some answers of, you know, how do you, you know, how can you build a sort of a sort of better life, which is not what I was used to, right? Like acknowledging that my way of living had sort of failed and I wanted to kind of do things differently. And moving to Bali, you know, I, I was able to take, you know, six months off before I really started 5X and spend that time, you know, investing in amazing coaches and learning and reading and, you know, a lot of self-work. In some ways took a lot of my severance and just put it into, uh, into you know, getting uh, sort of personal trainers and doing programs around breath work and 
um, I joined a men's circle and, um, you know, we was just trying sort of many, many different sort of modalities with like meditation and plant medicines and, um, and uh, you know, all of these different things. And that's really which, that really sort of started opening me up to like new possibilities. And I, I always joke in some ways, right? I learned more about even data and like technology living in Bali for a year and a half than I did in like 10 years in the Valley. Um, not so much that I was learning how to code or, or something super technical, but just being a lot more comfortable with who I am and what I'm good at and, you know, what I see as some of the gaps and just being a little bit less reactive to what's happening out there. And, you know, when the fear does come up, which it does, which I'm sure it does come up for a lot of people, being able to, you know, decrease the voice of that fear and, and trusting in some ways that, um, you know, life has my back. It sort of hasn't failed me so far. Why would it start to fail me now? That's beautiful. I think um, it becomes a little bit easier. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it becomes a little bit easier um, once you've already kind of proven yourself in, in terms of being having the ability to become successful or going to a good university, getting a good education. Um, I, in my opinion, from my perspective, what I observe, I observe a lot of people having it kind of backwards. They want to do this first. They want to be introspective and, you know, get spiritual and all that shit first. And through that, they hope that they start something that can pay their bills or, they figure it out somehow and they make their passion, their primary, you know, thing that makes money and that gives them a good life. I want to hear your perspective on that. Do you think it is important to go through the traditional sort of maze or obstacle course to develop fundamental skills to then get on the other side and do all the introspective spiritual stuff, um, start something of your own and then try to become successful in that? Because it's really, really extremely difficult to start something. Yeah and make it successful, especially in this day and age. I, I fully agree on the point of it's it, it's quite a challenge to build something on your own. The flip side of it, it's like drinking stupid juice in some ways, the amount of work which goes into like building something from nothing. And it's like Newton's whatever second law, right? It's just like objects in motion will stay in motion and objects in rest will stay at rest. You're like literally trying to put something into motion, which is at rest, right? So it's very difficult. A lot goes into building a company. But on the flip side of that, it's, it's extremely rewarding to, you know, see something there where there was nothing. You know, I would be, I won't even pretend to be able to give advice to someone on how to do it just because I've just seen it done so many different ways. And, you know, so many people who seem like they had it all figured out, not figuring it out in the end. And, some people who were, you know, who seemed like they had a long way to go, just be able to sort of figure it out. So I just think that, you know, there's no sort of trend in, in which I've kind of seen, right? And, and I think, you know, in some ways it's just like, I was lucky enough to find something which I really cared about pretty early on. Um, I knew since I was pretty young and, you know, even when I started my career and been in data, I've, just, I've sort of stuck extremely narrow and, you know, very focused. And people who I've seen who have really kind of figured it out in some ways, 
might not have known what they were doing initially, but when they did figure it out, you know, they had enough passion and love for it that they could stick through the tough times. And whether that means finding that spirituality first, or it means, you know, it comes from, from trying something else and like failing and out of a desperate moment, having to find something bigger than yourself, which is in some ways what I kind of, you know, how I went through it. Um, I want to pretend to know. No, I mean, yeah, and I don't mean to come from the perspective of also knowing what the right thing is. I just wanted to hear if you've been exposed to some of the, I guess, recurring elements that lead to success. And obviously, you understand what being successful is like. Um, what are some of the elements that are important? Um, what are some, I guess, contributes to the foundation of understanding how to make decisions in a better way as opposed to kind of just moving in whatever direction you're pulled in by life because i know like you said there are so many ways to do it so many ways to go about it and i i, I agree with you on that but i think there are some elements that are present in all the people that do end up becoming successful yeah um I think there are kind of there are a few which sort of particularly sort of stand out for me, right? And one of them is around consistency. Um, I think Robin Sharma said uh, consistency is like the mother of like mastery, and whatever you do every day, you're just going to get pretty good at doing. And that's just from experience proven to be extremely, extremely valuable. Um, you know you wake up and think about the same problem every day it's just a matter of time before you figure it out right and it doesn't matter where you're starting from like you know doing something every day is the ultimate leveling field um so i think you know consistency has been something which has been very helpful and i think you know this, this concept of you know being original in some ways like I think, you know, as soon as you see someone become successful, people try and copy that playbook. And that's, that hasn't ever made sense to me. It's always been like a sure way of becoming second best, right? It's somebody else's playbook. And, you know, we've seen a lot of people get into drop shipping because somebody else got into it and getting into e-commerce or, you know, building a consumer business or, or you know, making TikTok videos, right? And you know, the sort of reality is the top 1% make it all, right? And then you have like 99% of people there, you know, even looking at like influencers and oh, I, I don't even have Instagram anymore, so I won't pretend to know anything about it. But it, it, you know, by trying to copy someone else's lifestyle or what they're trying to do, or, you know, even in business, try to copy someone else, it seems to me like it's more of a pathway of unhappiness uh, than ever finding really what you saw uh, behind it, right? It's just it's, it's trying to chase. So I think, you know, in some ways, having like a vision which is bigger than that and like kind of more inspiring and really sets, it's like, it brings, it lights this fire in, in you, in your soul. It, you know, aligns with what your purpose is. Um, and you might not know what to do and how to do it. If you did, then it's not really that exciting. Uh, but it kind of has to be bigger and bolder, but most importantly, sort of original. 
I think that's kind of one big thing which I've seen. And the second thing is just the consistency. Like, you know, working 18 hours a day is not, you know, that's not exciting to me to work 18 hours a day and, you know, you sort of burn out in a year or two. Can you do something for like 10 years? Can you do it in a way which 10 years later you still love it and show up every single day to do it? You know, that's, you know, those are my heroes, uh, not the one-hit wonder or someone who built a business in two years, but burned the adrenals out after that and were just, you know, sick for most of their life after that. So, Right. I think that's a, that's a good place to end this. Um, I appreciate your time. If you want to let everybody know where they could find you, the website, service, anything else. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks so much uh, again for having me on the show. Um, very, very grateful to be here. Our website is, is 5x.co, 5x.co. And if you want to reach out to us, you can just sort of shoot us an email at hello at 5x.co. I believe you can find us on all the social media channels. It would be data with 5x. And uh, yeah, looking forward to hearing from you. I hope um, some of this was interesting. And thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the show again.